Our meditation for this 20th Sunday after Trinity is on our Gospel reading. Hear the word of our Lord from the Gospel of St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter, beginning in the first verse. And again Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready, come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the gospel of our Lord. God be praised for his glad tidings. Now, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our gospel reading is easy to understand if only we are willing to understand it. There was a group of people that God chose to be his emissaries, a priestly nation descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is from this nation that the Christ would be born, and they were to follow God's law as a way of both convicting the world around them and proclaiming to the world that one day a Savior would deliver everyone from their sins. Our Heavenly Father sent prophets to guide this law and gospel nation in the way, to give them details concerning the coming Messiah, and to correct them when they sinned. By and large, the children of Israel and Judah did not conform to this plan. To the contrary, the Old Testament presents a boundless record of abysmal failure on the part of this nation to do anything right whatsoever in God's eyes. From building a golden calf and worshipping it while God was right there on the mountain in front of them, to persecuting the prophets God sent, to constructing massive temple complexes in service to pagan deities. It is clear that the invitation to participate in the kingdom of God was met with an angry, rebellious no. They did not listen to any warning nor discipline from God. The book of Judges demonstrates that every single action taken against them did not teach them to trust in our Lord. As soon as they repented and God delivered them with a judge, they waited idly until the judge died so they could go right back to the idolatry and hatred of their neighbors that they had grown accustomed to. 
the exiles in Assyria and Babylon, did not bring them to repentance either. The book of Esther recounts God accomplishing a great deliverance for Judah, only to see them refuse to give him credit or even thank him, let alone say his name. When our Lord Jesus arrived, the idolatry that bows before a statue had long been replaced by the worse sort of idolatry, the kind that worships money, the kind that worships self, the kind that worships the in-group over the Lord who created them. He proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom to everyone in Judea, and great fame arose. But many of his followers turned coat when they found out that he did not worship the same gods as they did. And when they learned that he was no political figure, they hated him and had him crucified. In our parable today, Jesus Christ prophesies the punishment due for their unwillingness to bend the knee and hear the gospel. The total destruction of Jerusalem, their prized city, and its temple. By the Romans. The majority of the children of Judah refused to hear Christ, let alone believe in him. Those who did believe were elevated to apostles, disciples, the leaders of the early church, and the other converts they won. Our Lord tasked them with inviting the Gentiles into the body of Christ, all of them, whether they were Roman or North African or Germanic or Persian or whatever. So it is declared that all are invited to be a part of the Christian church. No ethnicity nor race whatsoever has any special claim to be above others in this matter. So the parable is easy to understand. Except that last part, from verses 11 through 14. Let's reread it. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to them, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. What does this mean? Well, let's explain it with a picture. Imagine a man hears that the kingdom of God does not belong to any one ethnicity. So he hears the blessed truth that the church is the true Israel, and any claim on that heritage has been ripped away from those who rejected our Lord Jesus. With a smug smirk, he starts attending a church, thinking to himself, well, if all this has been taken away from them, then it belongs to me. He goes about his merry life in the confidence that being in that building and claiming everything for himself has him set for all eternity. Then he dies and goes straight to hell on account of his carnal security. Such a man claims the promises of God without understanding the gospel. Individuals like this are more common than you think. They love their church, perhaps. They live an outwardly righteous life, maybe. Yet they are improperly clothed, they are not dressed right for the occasion, so to speak. Whenever you hear some Catholic or Orthodox person claim that you are damned because you are not part of their church, the one true holy and apostolic church or whatever, you are likely dealing with someone who is called but not chosen. 
When you hear someone who doesn't go to church say that he is a proud Anglican because dad was an Anglican and grandpa was an Anglican and so was great granddad and on and on and on until you reach Henry VIII himself establishing the Church of England, this individual is likely called but not chosen. If you hear a Lutheran that says, well, you get the picture. The children of Judah being rejected does not mean that you are automatically saved. It also doesn't mean that they are automatically damned either. In fact, if you are not humble and careful, then something far worse than a city burning down will happen to you. By many are called, but few are chosen, we get the sense of someone who is not chosen because they are not willing to wear the garments provided for them. They receive the invitation, certainly, but they care nothing for the event they were invited to attend. Such foolish individuals go to church, but they are not chosen because they are not actually Christians. It is this last part of the parable that makes us afraid, especially if we misread the verse, many are called but few are chosen. Does this mean we must be elect? Should we worry whether we are predestined to believe correctly? In the back of our minds, we start to feel afraid that we are not chosen, or perhaps worse, like the children of Judah, we will be actively rejected and sent off to hell. Let's address that. What does it mean to be properly clothed for the wedding? Clearly, as this is about a parable, it is not speaking about the actual physical clothes you are wearing right now and whether they are your Sunday best. Yet we must also grapple with how the man in the parable is cast into the outer darkness because he was not dressed for the occasion. He was actively not chosen on account of this fact. So what does it mean to have the proper wedding clothes on. Let us look to scripture which paints a picture of what we put on when it comes to salvation. Psalm 132 verse 9 says, Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. Isaiah 61 verse 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Romans 13 verse 14 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Galatians 3 verses 25 through 27 say, Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. If being improperly dressed is being unsaved, then being properly dressed is being saved. But what do we put on? Righteousness. We put on righteousness. Is it our righteousness? No, because otherwise it is not the Lord covering us with righteousness, but we ourselves doing so. It must be the perfection and holiness and righteousness of Christ himself placed upon us in our baptism. How do we wear this? By faith. For that is the only way to be a child of God. Our Lord Christ tells the crowd, 
a crowd full of people who would one day lose their city and their place in history, that the only way they can be spared is by putting on the alien righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. They cannot rely on belonging to a special group, lest they claim that staring at a mere invitation was the substance of their salvation. Nor can they rely on their own clothing, or their own merits and works, for such is filthy rags compared to the clothes God can put on us. Beloved, do not make the same mistake as the children of Israel and Judah. They believed that their first invitation was enough to spare them from the wrath to come, as though holding on to their heritage and their temple and their city would be enough. They never counted on God being able to take all of that away and give it to someone else. They did not trust in Christ, the only one who is able to save, whose righteousness surpasses anything a mere human could ever achieve. Beloved, though the parable warns us, let us not be discouraged. God has invited you to a wedding, to something good. We are right to rejoice that God has invited all to be part of the kingdom of heaven, yet we should be more excited for the kingdom itself, for salvation, than we are for the invitation. He has promised us a day when there will be no curse, no tears, no pain, no problems at all for all eternity, and we should look forward to that very thing. Now, in this world, we can be proud of our heritage and our people. Much in the same way, we can be proud of the works that God does through us. We can rejoice that our ancestors struggled to provide a home and a place for us. And it is good to honor them by passing something on to our own progeny. Yet our salvation does not depend on our heritage nor our works when it comes to salvation. May we remember this and rejoice, for to trust in our Creator honors the ancestors who trusted in Him first. Now the peace of our Lord, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.